Welcome to the Nursing Podcast. We are at the National Emergency Nurses Association Conference in Edmonton, and this is going to be our first podcast done in both official languages, in English and French. I'm Landon James. I'm a urban emergency nurse and rural critical care transport nurse. And I'm Monique McLaughlin. I'm a nurse practitioner in an urban hospital at in Vancouver, British Columbia. So excited to do the first bilingual presentation. Bonjour, mon nom est Mélanie Marceau, infirmière au Centre hospitalier universitaire du Québec. Et Denis Bouchard, je travaille dans un centre universitaire à Montréal. Excellent. So this is the English version of the podcast, and if you're looking for the French version, you'll find it on the website as well. And today we're going to be talking about an exciting topic, the triple D, 3D, and mm -hmm. uh, yes, it's the D-dimer dilemma. Absolutely. And for some of you who thought it was my triple D, it isn't. We are talking about the D-dimer dilemma. And there's a lot of discussion about the utility of having D-dimers in the emergency department. And why don't you tell us, Landon, about, well, about I, blood work? I think work kind of and... where this came from was we work in places where nurses start a lot of diagnostics. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, we're expected to operate to our full scope and get some blood work ordered, maybe put in a chest x-ray or two. And the D-dimer always comes up. And so we have a patient that we think might be a DVT or a PE, and we're putting in a D-dimer. And, and sometimes that was the right thing to do, and sometimes the physicians rolling their eyes at us going, oh, why did you put that in? Because now they have to investigate something. And so I think it's, uh, I know for me, it was kind of wanting to understand what this D-dimer thing is and mm -hmm. why sometimes I'm congratulated and sometimes I'm not for, for putting it in. Absolutely. So I think probably it would be good for us to kind of give us a bit of a background about what D-dimers are actually doing and how we actually use it in an emergency department. Now, most of us actually know that D-dimers measure, they're an excellent measure of fibrinolytic activity. But in the emergency department setting, it is really used as a rule-out test for DVT or PE in patients with a low, let me repeat that, low pretest probability of both DVT or PE. So what you're saying there, Monique, is you already think this is not a DVT or PE. Absolutely. All right. So we kind of have to have an understanding of what that pretest probability is. So I kind of would like us to talk a little bit about clinical prediction tools or guides. Have you heard of any kind of prediction or clinical prediction guides, Landon? Yeah, well, I know there's the Wells criteria and mm -hmm. the uh, PERC score. Yeah, Wells, Wells criteria for DVT and PERC score for PE. Absolutely. So why don't we talk a little bit about those two things. And uh, let's start with the Wells criteria. It's been around longer than the other one. It was originally developed in 1995 and it was refined and published in 2003 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it was developed by Dr. Wells. And what he showed is that by doing the Wells criteria, the D-dimer test had a negative predictive value of 99.1% in patients with a low pretest probability, which means if you do a D-dimer in a patient that has a low pretest probability, 99.1% will not have a DVT. Now, there's a huge long list uh, with Wells criteria, and I'm going to start with them. Uh, paralysis, recent orthopedic ca casting of lower extremity, recently bedridden more than three days, major surgery within four weeks. 
Whoa, whoa, oh. whoa, Monique. I, uh, what are you talking about? I can't remember all of those things. Yeah. That's a pretty long list, and it seems to be getting a little complicated. Yeah, it is, actually. And we're going to put that up for you guys on the podcast notes, because it is a, a fairly extensive list. I shouldn't say extensive. It's about 10 different criteria, and there are number values to each of those. And interestingly enough, there are apps uh, calculations online that you can use. And basically it is people who you think might have a high risk of DBT. So kind of things that you already know, immobility, long plane ride, clinical signs of DBT, those sorts of things. So I can kind of, I should almost go online, mm-hmm. use this as a list of if I'm going to a physician and saying, should we do a DBT? Cause I'm trying to get your patient worked up before you get to them. Yeah. These are the things that they're probably going to want to know. Yeah. So I should probably have this list somewhere. Absolutely. Pull yeah. it up on my phone when I'm going up to a bedside. Because mm-hmm. some of those aren't necessarily things you'd ask everybody. Absolutely. And there's other... So the Wells criteria does kind of cover certain types of conditions, but there are other conditions that we think of. And so the PERC rule is a little bit more helpful, a little bit more with younger women, people who are on birth control pills. And so the PERC rule was developed by Dr. Klein in 2004, validated in a prospective multicenter trial in 2008. And it really was to decrease further imaging, for example, unnecessary CTs of the chest. In a low-risk group, there's a 96% sensitivity. And in the very low-risk group, there's a 100% sensitivity. This one's a little easier to remember than the Wells criteria. For those of you who love mnemonics, the mnemonic is had clots. So H is for hormone or estrogen use. A is for age greater than 50. D is if you've had a history of a DVT or a PE history. C is for coughing up blood. L is for leg swelling disparity. O is O2 sats less than 95%. T is for tachycardia greater than 100. And S is for surgery or recent trauma. If all the criteria is negative and there's a low clinical suspicion for PE, then it is reasonable to forego further testing. If any of them are positive, or if you have a moderate to high clinical suspicion for a PE, that would be indications for further evaluations. And when we're talking these evaluations, is that the D-dimer? Yes, absolutely. Plus or minus maybe other diagnostic tests. So let me ask you, Landon, if you know where there are normal conditions that people normally might have an elevated D-dimer. Right. So I I know then that's the confusing part of this test is mm-hmm. you do it on and with good faith and someone goes, well, it was going to be high anyway. Why right. did you do it? Yeah. So I know in, in my experience, uh, you know, even healthy elderly people, uh, cigarette smokers for sure, anyone mm-hmm. who's had any sort of surgery, post-op patient, uh, trauma patient, uh, and pregnancy. Yeah. There are other medical conditions as well, not just those, but other medical conditions that actually increase D-dimer. And you've mentioned some really good ones. There are other things are AFib. Patients who have atrial fibrillation may have an elevated D-dimer. Anyone who's septic may have an elevated D-dimer. Pregnancy, malignancy, any cancers, um, superficial thrombophobitis, uh, sickle cell anemia. Um, all of those conditions actually increase your D-dimers. So with all of this kind of in mind, When we think about the clinical utility of D-dimers, this is what we need to think about. Does your patient's history of physical exam make you think DVT or PE as part of your differential? Now you go through those criteria, the PERC rule and or the Wells criteria. 
If you have a low probability or if it's unlikely, then you do a D-dimer. And that kind of just puts a pretty bow on top of it. Exactly. But you're already thinking, this is not anything. Right. right. It's kind of a rule out. And if the D-dimer is negative, phew, we can safely discharge the patient with another diagnosis. If your clinical judgment is that the patient has a high risk of this being a DVT and or PE, then you're going to do the test. The D-dimer is unnecessary. If you think and by it's the a, test, you mean an ultrasound or a CT. Excellent. Right. So if it's a DVT and you, you want to rule it out and you think there's a high suspicion it is, then you're going to send them to an ultrasound. Don't bother doing a D-dimer if you're doing the test to rule out a DVT. If you have a high clinical suspicion that it is a PE, go ahead and do the CT of the chest. Why bother doing the blood test if you're already thinking it might be that and you're going to do the CT, which is more of a definitive diagnosis. So, in summary, as an emergency nurse, what were you thinking then? Okay, so basically what I'm understanding is if we have a very low suspicion and there's no reason for us to really think this is a PE or DVT, but we just want that last confirmation, we do a D-dimer. Right. If we look at the person and think, I really think you have a PE or a DVT, there's no point in doing the D-dimer because right. a positive D-dimer isn't really going to confirm anything, but a negative D-dimer confirms something. Yeah. And at the end, probably most hospitals do not have nurses ordering D-dimers. And perhaps, again, we should challenge the status quo and think about perhaps down the road, can nurses um, who are ordering blood work, can they use the PERC rule or the D-dimer to actually direct them in starting to preemptively do the blood tests we don't know that would be an interesting conversation to have and as always our big thing is don't just go and do anything but just start to have the conversation Conversation. have an understanding all right well that's it for this episode and uh, we look forward to you listening next time for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursum.org That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at NursumPodcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, Ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca